there is the option of offsetting. And it really offsetting is about balancing it out because you measure your emissions, what gets released, so you need to balance it with the same amount of removals. And that is what you can do by purchasing carbon offsets. So you pretty much really need to know what is your carbon footprint that gives you the exact amount of carbon credits that you would have to purchase to be net neutral, carbin neutral. Kiora, I'm Troy, here is CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Kia ora, I'm Kim, here is General Manager, Comms 4.0. Today we're talking about a subject that might be a bit unfamiliar to our industry, and that's calculating carbon footprint. It's a part of a journey towards Sustainable Steel Council certification that will enable businesses, especially our SMEs, to build their skill and capability. To help drive this conversation, we're joined by our very own CEO, Dr. Troy Coyle, as well as Christine Schaller and Barbara Nebel of ThinkStep ANZ. ThinkStep ANZ are a sustainability consultancy passionate about enabling organisations to succeed in sustainability using science-based approaches. They were also engaged to assist HERA in calculating our own carbon footprint as we work to meet the criteria to become SSC certified. Barbara, let's start off with you. How important is it for businesses, do you think, to calculate their carbon footprint? Well, I think that the two answers to that really is one is the obvious you can't manage what you don't measure. The question is, why would you want to manage it? And I think there are a number of really good business reasons. One is there is a direct cost to carbon. So you want to bring your emissions down. So you actually bring that carbon cost down. But also your suppliers and your clients, more importantly, will ask for that information because your carbon footprint contributes to their carbon footprint. So if they have a goal of bringing their footprint down, they'll have to bring you on board. And another aspect to that is, as an employer, you want to attract young talent. You want to keep young staff in the business. And they identify with those values. They want to work for businesses that actually do the right thing. And reducing your carbon emissions is just one of those things. So it really is a business advantage if you get on top of your carbon emissions and start reducing them. Yes, I definitely think so. We actually recently held a student panel at our um, conference that we had this year, and that was one of the things that the students brought out, that they were very engaged with the environment and looking after the world, and they saw that bigger picture. So I can see what you mean in terms of that advantage. And Christine, do you have any idea or what what sort of standards are used in the process of reliably calculating a carbon footprint like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually there are a couple of standards out there if you want to calculate your corporate carbon footprint. 
Um, so the good thing is they're all aligned with each other, so it's not an either or, and they all aim to make um, carbon footprints comparable and also accurate. So that in the end, we compare apples to apples. Um, the two main um, standards is the ISO standard and the greenhouse gas protocol. And the ISO standard is rather a really technical document. Um, it was um, developed in, with international um, agreement of, of many countries. And the greenhouse gas protocol is um, developed with a lot of input from the corporate view. Um, it's a little bit more describing and also a little bit more um, user-friendly. The main advantage is that it's for free, so you can just go and download it. Um, yeah, so um, both were developed with international um, agreements, so um, New Zealand also had a say in it, and actually Barbara was also involved in the development um, process and um, represented New Zealand, yeah. One thing we really wanted to make sure when we developed those standards or reviewed the ISO one is that they're actually documents that can be used by businesses. They need to be academically right and correct, but they need to be user-friendly with a business focus in mind, and that largely was our contribution. Yes, that's definitely really important, otherwise you don't get that uptake if businesses can't understand it or implement it into what they're doing. So that's a really important part of standards. I think yeah. that's also, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Just maybe one thing, the greenhouse gas protocol that Christine mentioned has a lot of examples in it. So that really provides guidance as well as a standard. Yes, that's fantastic to hear. And um, what are the categories of emissions that are accounted for? Mm -hmm. So you can divide them into direct and indirect emissions. And the greenhouse gas protocol likes to speak about three different scopes. You may have heard about them, scope one, two, and three. Um, scope one are the direct emissions. Scope two is the first part of the indirect emissions um, related to electricity. Um, and the scope three are um, indirect emissions that are not covered yet and um, um, occur along your value chain. Um, so the scope one emissions, as I said, are direct emissions, um, for example, from the fuel you buy or, or other fuel that you, that you combust, um, as well as um, from direct um, processes or so from your manufacturing and um, product processes, for example, in your manufacturing, there are direct CO2 emissions. Um, as well as other sources, for example, um, from your air conditioning and re refrigeration systems, if there is a leakage of um, refrigerants, that may also um, contribute to your direct emissions. Um, and then the indirect emissions, that's a really easy category because um, the scope two emissions of them um, are um, only from the purchased electricity, mainly depend on the national grid mix. Um, in New Zealand, we have quite a high um, percentage of renewables in our grid mix, which is um, really good. That's different in other countries, for example, in Australia. Um, yeah, so those are the scope two emissions. And then the last part of the indirect emissions, scope three emissions, um, are all the emissions that occur along the value chain. So those are emissions where the company doesn't own the source um, or control the source of the emissions, but still um, impacts them mainly through their purchase decisions. Um, so examples or the biggest category or the biggest emissions of the scope three emissions most um, mostly are from products and materials that you buy, um, but also include others, um, for example, business travel. Um, 
So yeah, those are the, the three standard, the three scopes. I think on those categories, you really start to understand what sort of things you need to think about when you're trying to pave your way in assessing your carbon footprint. Uh, but I think for many businesses, it probably be quite difficult to quantify or understand how you measure yourself against those sorts of ideas or categories. Do you think that this is something that anyone can calculate in terms of their own footprint? Yeah, so I would say that's that's absolutely possible. And many companies do also calculate their own carbon footprints. Um, what is important is that in the first place, you familiarize yourself with the standard that you've chosen. Um, and then uh, you need some data to calculate it. So you need data from your company, for example, how much fuel you purchased or how much electricity you purchased. And then you need emission factors to actually calculate your, um, your greenhouse gas emissions. So um, to calculate them, the Ministry for um, the Environment in New Zealand um, makes some emission factors publicly available. So that's a good starting point. Um, so that's really easy to calculate your scope one and scope two emissions if the data is available. When it comes to the scope three emissions, it might be a little bit more challenging. As I said, most of those come from the um, materials and products that you purchase. And emission factors from those um, are not always really easy to find. The best way to find them is to go to your supplier and actually ask them to have some um, emission factors um, of the products that you um, get from, from them. Um, if, if they have them, that's really great because they may have done life cycle assessments or environmental product declarations, and you know they just give it to you. If they don't have the um, emission factors, you may still be able to find them in public sources through research um, in the internet, for example. And if that's not possible, there's um, still a way to get emission factors through um, databases. So there are a couple of companies out there, such as ThinkStep, um, which um, developed databases um, with good industry data and emission factors for, um, for a good variety and a big variety of different um, products and materials. Um, so they may be able to help you then. Great. You did say actually, just going back a little bit, you mentioned that it depends on the standard that you chose. So you mentioned there were the two main standards, so you don't have to use both of them. They are um, yeah, so, one or the other. Yeah, so, so as I said, they really align with each other. So if you comply with one, you actually also comply with the other. Um, but what is really important that you make, um, you define your um, boundaries and the scopes really well in the beginning. So when you start to calculate your emissions for the first time, it is really important to make that really clear. And how complicated that is depends a little bit on how complex your company structure is. Oh, sounds interesting. <laughs> I can see where it would be very helpful to have someone who's got an expertise in that because it's such an unknown landscape for many businesses who are starting to embark on this journey. I can see how it could be quite challenging. So I guess what are some of the sources of emissions that people commonly don't think of when they're going through this sort of process? Well, there is... One thing to start off with is that there is a bizarre misconception that there are mandatory scope three emissions. So what you always have to do is have your direct emissions that 
Christine has explained, as well as your electricity. It gets trickier in those indirect emissions. An easy one that hardly anyone forgets is business travel. It gets more complicated if you are in a joint venture with another business, because you're actually partially at least responsible for the emissions of that business, and they often get forgotten. Or if you were manufacturing equipment, and this equipment uses electricity or power during its useful life once you've sold it, you can influence the amount of energy used. So those are also used code three emissions. And it really depends on what are the most significant emissions in your business. I recently talked to a mining company and they said, oh, you know, we do report our business travel, but in the scheme of things, they're just minute. Why do we have to report business travel? And I said, well, they're two elements of identifying how significant an emission is. One is how much does it contribute to your own carbon footprint? Then it is, if it's significant, you need to include it. But another aspect is how important globally is that emissions mm. category, like business travel, for example. So it still should be included, even though it might be only a small proportion of your overall footprint. So the question of significance really is how much does it contribute in volume, but also how relevant is it on a global scale? So those yes. are the two main tests, really, if yeah, you're you can something or not. That flow-on effect, doesn't it? You can see how you can attack one aspect of it, but actually underneath that it could be many layers that you yeah forget to take into account and for a process like this of calculating your carbon footprint how long can this typically take to get done for a business that obviously also depends on the complexity of the business if you are a service provider with say 20 staff like we are or similar to Hera it could be done within a month because it's a fairly straightforward emissions profile. All the data is usually available somewhere in the accounting department. So a month up to three, four, five months, if you are a big business, very complex, have joint ventures, those sorts of things. So I would say between a month and, say, four months, it should be possible to do it for most businesses. And do you think that most businesses find it a taxing process? Because I imagine you're asking them for things that they're not quite prepared for or that they haven't really gathered data for. Did, do you find that that's part of what slows that process down? For the first time, yes. The first time is always a bit harder. But once you've collected the data once and you've identified where in your accounting system the information sits, it's relatively straightforward to repeat it year after year. And also, the first year might always be a bit harder because you still don't quite know what are our significant emissions and what aren't, what can we leave out. So you have to go through that process once, and then unless your business changes fundamentally, in the other years, you basically just have to update the data. So this is something that you would do on a yearly basis to assess your emissions? 
Yeah, because you want to see how you're tracking. Once you've set your baseline, you might want to set yourself a target, an ambitious enough target to actually make a difference. <laughs> and then you want to bring those emissions down. So you want to measure at least on a yearly basis, some businesses measure it on a monthly basis. Um, depending again, what you do, you might have um, seasonal variations. So you want to do it over a few years to see that every year in July it goes up because you need to heat more or what, something like that. So it's certainly a commitment, isn't it, to this yeah. journey? And would you say that it's an expensive process to calculate your footprint and maintain that um, continued review of your sustainability metrics? Well, you, you could see it as an expense or an investment, and I would rather describe it as an investment because it really has those business benefits coming. And it can start off with just having someone to help you set those boundaries, identify the emission factors, and you do everything yourself, everything else. And that could be an investment of three or four days of our time, or maybe even just two, if you really only want a little bit of guidance. So let's start by 5K. But then if you have a rather complex business, you need a lot of emission factors, you want someone to really provide your guidance, it can go up into the lower tens of thousands. Um, it, it really depends on how much guidance you need and you want. Yes, and I think you make a very good point there, that being that if you make that investment now, the long-term benefits will start to show in your, your margin somewhere mm. along the line there, particularly yeah. in terms of trust with customers, I would imagine, and um, them to understand what your business model is like and that you really are thinking about the future of our world, as it were. And... Just one other thing, once you go through that process and you understand what your carbon footprint is, how do you go about then addressing those issues and offsetting them to start your journey to improve? The offsetting question is a good one, and I always say it comes aligned with reduction. So there are always three processes in my mind. It's you measure so that you know where you are, then you start a, developing a reduction plan so that you actually bring those emissions down. And once you can't bring them down anymore or you're just at the beginning of the journey of bringing them down, there is the option of offsetting. And it really offsetting is about balancing it out because you measure your emissions, what gets released, so you need to balance it with the same amount of removals. And that is what you can do by purchasing carbon offsets. So you pretty much really need to know what is your carbon footprint that gives you the exact amount of carbon credits that you would have to purchase to be net neutral, carbon neutral. And if you have an audited set of emissions and you have proof of credible offsets that you have bought and that got cancelled so that no one else can use them, you are net neutral and can say you are carbon neutral. Only if you want to then have a batch to say, I'm zero carbon or carbon zero, then you'd have to go through a certification process to do that as well. And that is certification against a specific set of rules for a label. 
that you can be carbon neutral by simply measuring your footprint, having that audited, and purchasing the same amount or the equivalent amount of offsets. Yes, it's quite an exciting aspect. And, and do you think it helps for an organisation to have one person who's advocating for tracking that and, and working to offset those, those carbon emissions? Or is it something that just can be achieved by organisation as a whole? I think you need both. Well, you, you almost need three people. You need the drive and the commitment from the senior management team. And in New Zealand, that's actually quite interesting. We have a climate leaders coalition of 115 CEOs having signed up to bringing emissions down in line with the Paris Agreement. So you need that top-level commitment. You need someone on the ground who knows where the data is to keep track of it. And then you need everyone in the business to actually help bringing those emissions down. So you need all three levels, really. Yes, well, I think we're really lucky at HERA because we have a very strong advocate of sustainability within our midst, and that is our CEO, Troy. <laughs> and we've certainly been on a journey, I think, to try and address ourselves as an organisation and set an example of what industry can do to work towards reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, Troy, why do you think it was important for HERA to go through this process and start measuring these types of things within our business? Well, Kim, as you know, I think every business should be doing this and especially here are because part of our whole strategy is to connect and inspire the industry. So with so much focus on the carbon performance of our industry, we really need to start looking at how do we address that in a real and meaningful way. Given that we know that um, there isn't going to be an alternative reductant to carbon um, in the short-term horizon, um, really offsetting is an important um, process for our industry. And as, as uh, Barbara mentioned, also reductions. So there are many ways that we can reduce our carbon performance. We don't need to just talk about um, the coal used in the steelmaking process. We actually need to look at our operations as well and how can we improve our performance there. So. What we wanted to do was we wanted HERA to walk the talk. We also wanted to understand what might be the reasons, um, given the, the actual benefits of reducing your carbon and offsetting it and measuring it that Barbara mentioned, why is it that the industry isn't uptaking this process more? So really we wanted to go through that process and understand how difficult it was and then also share our learnings um, with our industry, which we have done now. So we've created our um, our case study, which is on the Sustainable Steel Council website. So there you can see all of the emissions measures that um, were relevant, considered relevant for HERA. And you can see where uh, our main opportunities for improvement were and so on. So we've given everything transparently to the industry. Yeah, so we'll make sure that we definitely include that link 
uh, within this podcast so that people can take a look at that case study. I think it's really important that they can see a worked example and how they could apply it to their own business. It's really, really exciting that we've got that as a first point that they can look at. And having gone through that process now and worked with things step A and Z to calculate Hera's carbon footprint, what's your perspective on that? Like how what how easy was the process? What what did you find as you went on the journey? Mm. I think it's easy, but a big part of why it was easier was <laughs> because we were relying upon ThinkStep to help us. Um, and so I would definitely recommend for your first um, point in time where you're going to set up your spreadsheets to start to measure your um, emissions that you actually use a consultant to help you to do that. Of course, if you're an SME and you can't really afford that, that would still be a good start. You could start to do that yourself. But I think ideally this would be the best way because you know then as you move forward, again, as Barbara said, unless there are going to be significant changes to your business, you can rely upon the emissions that have been identified as being important. Uh, so, yes, I think it's easy. Um, collecting the data is the harder part. <laughs> yes, actually. I'm reflecting back on our own journey when you sent out the emails and you're asking about our travel to work and I'm thinking to myself, what does she need to know all this for? But it starts to make sense once you see the reports and how you're assessing each individual's impact on the organisation's overall carbon footprint. So it's quite an interesting process, I think, even for staff. Uh, so I guess from my perspective as well, it was fantastic to have some involvement in that and to understand what Hera was doing and what the long-term goal was to find out that kind of data because sometimes it doesn't make sense otherwise um, when you start asking these random questions about things that you're doing in your business. And for you, Troy, what were the key contributing areas for this piece of work? So the big one for us that we can um, influence, um, so our biggest opportunity for improvement is really business travel. And I think, so we did this just prior to going into the COVID lockdown experience. And, um, you know, I had in the back of my mind, okay, we need to reduce our work, our business travel. Um, but this has really opened my eyes to the opportunity that we have around um not believing that face-to-face -face means actually having to physically stand together face-to-face -to -face over the digital formats is proving to be really effective and um, good in maintaining relationships in a way that I hadn't really appreciated. So in looking at those silver linings for COVID, I think that was definitely one. Um, and for us, I think uh, delivering our courses has a flow-on effect to our members that, again, they don't have to travel as, as much as we've kind of forced them to to participate in our training. Um, I think that was our main one. The other things that we could benefit from is in terms of measuring our waste. So we weren't really measuring our waste um, in a quantitative way. So what what was happening is we have rubbish collections that are regular 
Um, so we have skips and bins that are collected, but we don't actually measure how full those bins and skips are. So probably we're overestimating the carbon emissions coming from those sources because we weren't measuring if they were partially filled or not. So that was another opportunity. So you mentioned, Troy, that collecting the data was the big sticky point. Was there anything else that stood out in that experience that was difficult or provided challenges in assessing carbon footprint for HERA? I think collecting the data was the difficult bit. And so now I know what data we have to collect. It's going to be easy. But for example, when we were measuring business travel, we we're obviously um, recording our expenditure, um, but we didn't have a process for recording carbon kilometres, um, which is required in the calculator. So I had to trawl through a, a year's worth of credit card invoices to try and pick out where our travel destinations had been and then convert that over. So just understanding that. Um, as you mentioned, we had to do a survey of staff to understand what their commute to and fro from work was. Um, and so we broke that up by um, the, the location between a person's house and the office, what mode of transport they used and how frequently they were using it. The other consideration that I hadn't thought about was our board meeting. So we have over 10 board members on the HERA board. So we had to actually go through and look at what were their carbon kilometres associated with a board meeting with all of our board members coming from meetings. Um, so just those types of things where uh, we had data, but it wasn't in a readily available manner to put into a spreadsheet to, to calculate our emissions. I think when you start breaking it down like that, you can see where it's so important that a company is really committed to this journey because it would be so easy to give up when it gets a bit sticky like that because you just think this is way too hard so it's just I think that's probably where it's really important to have the support of a consultant company or to have resources readily available to you to help you just kind of get yourself over that little hump because you can see where many organizations might just think oh this is too hard basket to achieve and I really commend you on keeping on going with that because it's quite difficult when you start digging under the surface to understand how to calculate things like that. And what, now that you've, well I should say, now that you've gone through the process for HERA and we understand where we're at, what are your plans that you're thinking to do to start offsetting some of the carbon footprint emissions that you've identified? Yeah. So we, because we changed our end of financial year in FY20, we ended up having a nine-month long financial year. So we actually did our calculator based on the previous year, which was FY19, which was a full 12-month period. And... Um, Prior to COVID, we had a budget where I had included a budget to offset our carbon emissions. Now we've paired our budget right back to our COVID-19 response budget. We don't have that in our budget, but it is something that we will be able to go back to and offset. And in the meantime, we will continue to calculate and monitor 
our offsets, uh, sorry, our emissions so that we can offset that when we're in a better financial position. It's not to say that it's expensive. Um, it's just we're in absolute cost cutting mode at the moment, but our intention is definitely to go back um, and offset. And um, we chose to use ECOS um, and only because that has a, a good fit with our um, overall interactions with the living standards framework because there are a multiple multiple benefits because um, we wanted to offset via um, forest protection and regeneration and planting um, and we wanted it to be a native forest so you get the benefits of biodiversity and also because ECOS have additional benefits that they're working with Maori landowners so you're getting the social benefits as well so from a living standards framework perspective in, in doing one action you are having multiple impacts across different capitals so um, that's why we chose to do it that way. And what would you say Troy to some of the companies from our industry who might be listening to this podcast in terms of why you think it's important for them to sort of start getting involved with some of the initiatives that we're rolling out to support industry in the sustainability space. So I know that we have recently launched the launched the Aotearoa Transformation Agenda and Plan. And of course, uh, the Sustainable Steel Council has also implemented their certification program to start assessing this type of work. Why do you think it's important that our industry gets on board with this sort of work moving forward? And what sort of time frame do you think is needed to, to start getting ahead of the game in terms of this? Mm. I think that probably there's a bit of a cry wolf scenario in that there's been um, a long-term discussion around the importance of sustainability in terms of our industry in particular. And it hasn't played out in the market as much as we probably anticipated it would, um, that the market would start to ask for um, more certification and validation of green credentials. Um, but, and so I find, I find it difficult because I think actually we're there now, um, but we've, because we've been saying that for a long time, maybe people aren't getting on board as quickly as they should be, but definitely from the Sustainable Steel Council perspective, you can see there's momentum gathering now, not only within the industry in being proactive to um, certify against um, the Sustainable Steel Charter, for example, or to do carbon um, accounting and offsetting, but also from the market. Um, but I think for us being an industry that has um, a massive skills shortage, and probably a bit of a PR issue and being able to attract and retain future generations into our industry. That, as Barbara again mentioned, really the critical thing is making our industry brand from an employment perspective, one that's going to be attractive. And it was very clearly demonstrated um, not only at our Vision 2020 Future Forum, um, with the student panel, but also when we've had Rotary students visit, 
all of the questions that are being asked and, and all of the perspectives that they have about our industry are focused on sustainability. So there is a perception that we are a, um, a bit of a beast when it comes to our sustainability credentials. And actually there are some good stories, uh, but we, we do have a carbon issue. We just can't deny that we have a carbon issue and really the industry needs to take control of that and proactively address it. And this is one way to do that. Yes, I would agree. Having just come out of COVID-19 lockdown, I'm sure all of you will have noticed the benefits it had to the environment. I saw many more native birds coming into my garden. The air felt fresher, or it might have been just in my mind, but I, I feel like you can see the impacts that industry can have on the environment. So I think there's no better time to jump on it because I, I, I feel like all of New Zealand noticed that change as well. And, and so we're just yeah. there. I'd like to see more happen. And, and it's not just in our industry perspective, it's us as individuals and all, yes. all of the decisions that we're making, our decisions on how we travel to work or whether we even need to travel to work or to meetings or whatever, all of those um, consumer choices that we make and all of those choices we make as a person are also contributing. And I really think all of us need to take accountability because um, we can't keep saying, you know, we're waiting for the legislation to come in. We have to be proactive. And I think there have been a number of global events that have happened in the last 12 months that really are sh pushing us to address this um, and, and, forcing us to look in the mirror about is the way that we have done things the best way to do things? And I, I agree with you, Kim, that during lockdown, um, it, was a, it was a very stressful experience because you've got that uncertainty around the economy, but socially and environmentally, there were also some good learnings um, around challenging us around business as usual, and we really do need to learn from that that experience. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for connecting in today to talk about what I think is a really important topic. So thank you to all of you for your shared perspectives on evaluating and calculating carbon footprint and the importance of it in industry. Um, and I'm pretty sure that this has been very helpful to a lot of people who are listening today. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation today with Troy, Christine and Barbara. If you'd like to connect more with them, you'll find their details in the show notes. Speaking as a Māori who is intrinsically connected to the whenua, or land, I find conversations like these give me some real hope. It represents a step towards protecting our natural environment and raising awareness about our role to play in this work. As Greta Thunberg says, the climate crisis has already been solved. We have the facts and the solutions. All we have to do is wake up and change. If today's conversation resonated with you, then you may also be interested to get involved with two new initiatives that are rolling out for New Zealand's metals industry. The first is from us here at HERA. It's the Aotearoa Steel Industry Transformation Agenda and Plan. This is an industry blueprint to position for a sustainable future based on Treasury's Living Standards Framework. 
Feeding into that is the Sustainable Steel Council's Sustainable Steel Certification Program. It's the first of its kind in New Zealand and recognises criteria in the NZ Green Building Council's Green Star Rating Scheme. Both will enable businesses to demonstrate they're actively addressing key sustainability issues in their production processes and supply chain. To find out more, get in contact with our CEO, Troy Coyle. You might also like to check out our article which shares our experiences in assessing our carbon footprint and what we learnt along the way. The link will be in the show notes.